Good morning. Uh, one add on to the uh, men's breakfast, which is coming up this Saturday. That's the last Saturday. We have a, a guest speaker. Stand up, Phil. Let's uh, see our guest speaker. <laughs> he, he's the guy who, uh, who basically runs this church. I mean, you think Jackie's the pastor. He's the guy with uh, the computer that knows all the, the, the net net terms and all that stuff and the finances, and he keeps the, the boat floating and does a great job and puts in a ton of hours doing that. You, you can testify to that, Sherry, right? And so he is going to uh, present something in Hebrews, right, Phil? And he said, how many pages did you have as of last week? 17 pages. So uh, we have lots of food, and we're going to have uh, uh, some garden fruit this Saturday. If all goes well, we'll have some fresh cantaloupe for, uh, for you guys to clean out the system after you eat the biscuits and gravy. So Saturday, 9 o'clock, bring a friend, and we can get to know each other better. We're in John chapter 5 this morning. We're going to finish out the fifth chapter of John, starting in verse 16. John 5, 16. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, from here on out, this is Jesus talking. This is the name that's above every name. Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those here will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, 
because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and a shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bearing witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Father, we just uh, ask right now again that you would send your Holy Spirit and clear out uh, all of the smoke in our minds, Lord, and just uh, help us to hear your word, Father, to receive uh, the instruction, the correction, the uh, encouragement that you offer. Father, just uh, anoint Jackie, anoint our ears, uh, that we could become more like you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we gather this morning, we're going to be talking about the third discourse of seven that the Gospel of John focuses on. And as we look at this discourse, we have to remind ourselves the purpose. Why did John share these things with us? He wrote at the end of the Gospel of John that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and by believing in him have life in his name. So the purpose of John writing, so that we might come to faith in Christ, so that we might know him. And so as we come to this third discourse, we, we don't want to remove it from the miracle that occurred last week. You remember the man who was at the pool? Jesus came to him and said, do you want to be made well? You remember? And Jesus heals him on the Sabbath day. He picks up his bed, which was basically like picking up your towel. And he gets caught carrying it. And he comes to the Pharisees and the Pharisees say, hey, why are you carrying that? You, you can't carry anything on the Sabbath day. And, and so the man said, well, the fellow who healed me, he told me to carry it. 
And they said, well, who told you to, to, who healed you? And he said, I, I don't know. Scripture tells us later, Jesus came to him at the temple. You remember? Later, Jesus came to him at the temple and he said, now, be careful. Lest another sin come upon you and your condition be worse then than it was before. And then Jesus leaves and scripture tells us that man ran to the Pharisees. You remember? And I said, I'm a pessimist. So he's a giant tattletale. That's what I see. My wife, remember I told you I was going to go back and ask Kathy what she thought? Yeah, she, the eternal optimist, said, well, maybe he was, he had good in him. You know, he was just trying to praise Jesus to the Pharisees. Yeah, I'm sorry. The pessimist can't get there. But I do love uh, my wife's eternal optimism. So as we look at that, we come now to the section that I don't want you to miss what Jesus says when he tells them why it is that he's doing what he is doing. Because he's going to talk about, there's a little foreshadowing here. About, about verse 19, we're going to start the discourse. But these first few verses are like a foreshadowing of the purpose of the discourse. And the purpose of the discourse is to show the equality with the Father. Later on, Jesus is going to say in the Gospel of John, I and the Father are one. So he's laying out this idea, the equality with the Father. And so <clears throat> the cause of the hostility between the religious leaders we see in verse 16. Now this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Now here's something that we can understand by, by diagramming, taking apart the sentence. We have here two imperfect verbs. The, the word for persecuting Jesus is imperfect. That means it was a continual action, something that was always happening. They were always persecuting or griping or fighting with Jesus about what Jesus was always doing, which was healing on the Sabbath day because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. He was breaking their religious traditions and the breaking of their religious traditions in terms of what he was doing on the Sabbath serves to point to Jesus Christ as the divine son. And that's what Jesus is going to illustrate for them. Jesus answers them. Now we don't hear any words that they said, um, but, the, but persecution. But it says, Jesus answered them and said, my father is working until now. The Bible says that six days God created and the seventh day he rested. But we also acknowledge that God is never not working. If God stopped working, you stopped living. It is he who holds all life in his hands. He is the source of all life, the keeper of all life. And so Jesus is saying, look, my father is working on the Sabbath. My father works on the Sabbath, and the rabbis, the Pharisees, the Sadducees would have acknowledged, yes, God is still working. God is still working every time the Sabbath comes along. But Jesus says, my father's working, and I am working. And he's going to go into a discourse about that unity between father and son. Now verse 18 tells us exactly how they understood what Jesus was saying, right? 
Verse 18 says, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his father, making himself equal to God. Making himself of equal nature with the Father. So the Jews, the religious leaders, they understood what Jesus was saying. We come 2,000 years later, it's us that get confused. People say all the time, where in the world does Jesus ever say he's God? Really? Man, read the Gospel of John. Over in the first verse. In the beginning was the... Word was with God, the Word was God. And the Word became flesh. Who is God the Word? Jesus Christ. We start in the first three verses of John with a proclamation of the deity of Jesus Christ. But here we see that the Jews, they were seeking to kill him because he was breaking the Sabbath, their religious traditions. And the reason he did it, he said, is because I'm following the example of my father. My father is working. So I am working. Now Jesus would also say that it was good to do mercy on the Sabbath day, right? He would teach them that it was good to do mercy on the Sabbath day. So there is a question as to whether or not there was an outright breaking of Sabbath law according to what God laid out. But the point Jesus is making is I am following the example of my father. My father is working on the Sabbath. And so his own earthly work is mirroring the work of his heavenly father. In Mark 2.28, when Jesus, when the, in the Gospel of Mark, when he's talking about Jesus doing work on the Sabbath, actually he's talking about Jesus' disciples grinding the grain in their hand. Jesus said, do you not know that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath? The Son of Man is a direct revelation. We'll see it today as we look in Daniel chapter 7 of the Son of God as ultimate deliverer and judge of all the nations. In Daniel chapter 7, we pick that up. So Jesus is saying, look, I want you to, to recognize and understand <clears throat> that I am the Son of God. Now, if you remember when we talked about the idea of the Son of God in the ancient world, the idea of the Son of God was the exact representation of God as ruler on earth. That's how it was, that's how that term was understood by them. Remember we talked about every king would take upon himself the title of the son of God. I'm the son, I'm God's representative on earth. That's why you should listen to me. But Jesus Christ is the son of God. In reality, and we'll see that as we get to the end of John chapter 5, Jesus saying, here are the things that witness of me. It's not just an assertion that Jesus makes. There was evidence to follow the claim that he laid out. Now, while Jesus was the only son of God, we need to recognize he never claimed to take the place of God. Sometimes when we talk about the triune God, there's a lot of confusion that we wrestle with. A lot of ideas that we try and trying to verbalize what's going on with the Trinity that we struggle in. 
Jesus is God, holy God in the flesh. But the throne was not empty in heaven. While Jesus was being baptized, the Father spoke from heaven, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The throne was not empty. Now just because we don't have an example of how that works for us, that's, that's not a reason to, to struggle. I have never seen Yahweh. In fact, Jesus is going to declare for us again today, no one has ever seen the Father. Ever. The visual representation of the Father has always been through the Son. That is how it has always worked. So the scripture would lay out for us, Jesus has a purpose. He has been sent by the Father. He's on a mission for the Father. He's doing the works of the Father. He's obedient to the Father, and he's bringing glory to the Father. This was the role of the Son, but he's not there to displace him. The Father is still the Father. The Son is still the Son. And they are in complete communion and unity with one another. The Father is not trying to do something, and the Son is trying to stop that. That's not how God works. God works in complete union, in absolute communion. That's why Jesus is going to describe his uh, relationship with the Father, hopefully so that we can begin to understand it. So as we look at the discourse that we're about to jump into, there's three things that are going to step out. And this, here's, the, here's the deal, guys. There's a lot of stuff here. And I have not got 17 pages of notes. If I had 17 pages of notes, we'd be here for a month. <laughs> but I got too many for one day, probably. So we'll see how we do. But I really want us to be able to grasp the point of Jesus' discourse to the Pharisees that he was the divine son of God. This is important. It lays a lot of foundation for issues that we're going to see later on. It's divided into three parts. The first part is Jesus' relationship with the Father. The second part is Jesus' relationship as judge. And the third part is the witness that establishes the proof of what he's claiming. So the point is he's not just making an assertion, he's going to back it up. All right, so as we look at this, these are the ways that we're going to break it down. So when he starts to talk <clears throat> about his relationship with the Father, he emphasizes his unity with the Father. And he uses parabolic language. He uses language by using something that we can recognize every day. And that is a relationship between a father and a son. Listen to what he says. Jesus said to them in verse 19, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. Now, this is parabolic language. Jesus is talking about fathers and sons, and he's going to explain his relationship to the father and his relationship as son in the, in the understanding of fathers and sons. And what he says, in the understanding of fathers and sons, the son becomes like the father. 
I don't matter how much you don't want to be, you take on the characteristics of your dad. You become like him. You are not in some uh, vacuum somewhere where all of the all of the characteristics and influences of your father don't uh, impress upon you. He's saying, I want you to know the son does nothing of his own accord. He does what he sees the father doing. Right? Our children, our boys, they try to put on dad's shoes and walk in dad's footsteps. Not of their own accord, but what they see the father doing. What he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. So in a relationship between a father and a son, that's the role. The role of father is to teach his son in the way that he ought to walk. When David looked at his son Solomon... He said, Solomon, I want you to understand, you need to walk in wisdom. And you have the beginning of the words laid out for us in the book of Proverbs and at the end of David's life, encouraging his son in the way that he ought to walk. Why? Because David loved his son. And a father who loves his son will show him how to walk. Jesus is saying the father does love the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these he will show him that you may marvel. Now he brings it down to the people he's talking to. He's saying there is unity between fathers and sons. And Jesus is saying, I'm not acting independently of my father. I am doing what my father has asked me to do. Jesus is declaring that he has uninterrupted communion with the father. Uninterrupted communion. The things that the father does, the son does also. Now, we take that statement and we look at what Paul would write to us in the word. The scripture would tell us, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? But in Colossians, we read that Jesus Christ is the one who created all things, that no things exist that he didn't create. He created all things. Everything the Father is doing, I am doing. That's what Jesus is saying. When we look at things like the, the resurrection of Christ, when we look at the resurrection of Christ, we're going to see that the Father says he rose, he raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus is going to say, I am going to raise myself from the dead. And the scripture declares that the Holy Spirit is raising Jesus from the dead. Why? Because there's absolute unity within the triune God. So whatever the Father is doing, the Son is doing. That's what Jesus is declaring. Galatians 1.1, Paul wrote, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him, Jesus, from the dead. In Romans 8, Paul writes, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The Holy Spirit raising Jesus from the dead. John ten eighteen, Jesus said, No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Everything I see my father do, I am doing. 
the son following that. The result is that the things that the father does, the son does. Not in imitation. He's not imitating the father like we would in human terms. We imitate our fathers. But he is absolutely in virtue, the same in nature. There is unity in the relationship between father and son in the triune God. All God is working together, focused in one direction. Now what Jesus is implying then, the authority with which he teaches and the acts that he does, he does by the authority of almighty God. Don't be confused. That's absolutely what he's saying. My father's working right now. You don't think the Jews knew what that meant? <clears throat> what do you mean your father's working now? You're saying you're equal with God? Isn't that exactly what the next verse said? They sought all the more to kill him because he made himself God his father. He made himself equal with God. The people understood what was being said. Now Jesus says greater works than these he's going to do. He shows him uh, greater works than these will he show him so that you, now that you is, is direct, he's pointing at the Pharisees. He's going to do greater things than these so that you will marvel. There are several signs that are built around the, the seasons. We've seen one, it'll culminate in another. It'll culminate, the culmination of the signs done through the cycle of seasons is going to culminate in Lazarus. So we're going to see the man at the pool of, of Bethesda, the nobleman's son, right? It's a, it's a, it's a festival. The nobleman's son gets healed. Then we see the man at Bethesda. He gets healed. Um, then we're going to see a man born blind. And then we're going to see Lazarus. Jesus says, greater things than these are you going to see. For, listen, in verse, 20, in verse 21, as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to all whom he will. You don't think that echoes in their ears when he's standing outside of a grave saying, Lazarus, come forth? You don't think that's echoing in their minds? Everybody knows. Look, how come somebody's not at the hospital today raising people from the dead? Jesus had that power, right? That power comes from God. All healing, just so we can be clear, comes from God. There's, there's not a person who has special healing mojo in them that brings healing to other people. No, it's, it's the Spirit of God that does healing. God heals. He uses man as vessels to bring, uh, bring that, that, that point of faith to a person as the Lord wills, not as we will. There's a lot of healing I'd like to have seen that I haven't seen. Jesus just being able to call the dead to life is a proclamation that he is God. Jesus being, to heal, being able to heal at a distance, not having to touch a person, just speak. And him being healed is a proclamation that he is God. Jesus standing at the man at Bethesda who was or Bethsaida, who was, who was uh, paralyzed and couldn't get into the water. That healing is a proclamation that he is God. 
And Jesus being able to heal a man born blind is a proclamation that he is God. These works bear witness that I am who I say I am. He's declaring de- declaring this power that he has, the power of resurrection. Then in verse 22, he says, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. How much judgment is all judgment? That's not a trick question. <clears throat> all judgment. <clears throat> Jesus Christ is judge and Savior. The Father has given that to him. The Father has given him. The Father judges no one, he declares. All judgment has been given to the Son. Verse 23, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Listen to what he just said. Whoever for the Father, I'm sorry, all that honor the Son that all would honor the Son just as, in the same way as they honor the Father. Jesus is standing before the Pharisees. You think he's not clearly defining himself as God. You're supposed to honor me the same way you honor Yahweh. You don't think that's a declaration of deity? I don't, I don't know if you get clearer words than that. Just as they honor the Father. So that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. You remember Jesus was asked, what must I do to do the works of God? What, must, what do I got to do? Believe in the one whom the Father sent. That's how you do the works of God. Faith in the one that the Father sent. If you do not honor the Son, you do not honor the Father. For the word honor, you can substitute value, to ascribe value to. That is exactly what worship is for. Worship is not entertainment. Worship is not an opportunity for us to tap our feet or, <clears throat> or you know, whatever other ideas we may have of worship. Worship is so that we can ascribe value to Jesus, so that we can ascribe value to the Father. That's what it's for. That's the purpose. Why do we sing? That's why we sing. To sing his worth. Worthship. His value to honor God. Why do we study the word? We study the word to study and proclaim his worthship. His value, his honor. This is why we gather. This is why we sing. This is why we study. That we might bring honor to the Son just as we bring honor to the Father. So then what's the effects of this relationship? Look at verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. 
Jesus is declaring here. What happens? What is, a, what is the effect of the unity between father and son? The effect of the unity between father and son, the relationship that they have together, that effect enables Christ to declare this, the condition for eternal life. Whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He can say that because of the unity between the Father and the Son. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God. He is one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God. He is Echad. The word Echad is used. It's one. It means one. It is one but it is used of things that form a complex unity. A complex unity, like a cluster of grapes, is one cluster. In fact, that same scripture, that same word, is used to describe another relationship. You remember what it is? For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become echad, one. The two shall become one. Why does the devil hate marriage? Why do people always want to screw around with marriage? Because marriage is a depiction in humanity of the triune God. That's why. Why should anybody care what somebody else says marriage is? God defined it in the book of Genesis. Which, by the way, was a long time before all the chaos we've had in the last several years. And it is an illustration of the unity between father and son. It is an illustration of who God is. That's why Satan hates it. That's why God declares he hates divorce. Because it breaks the symbol. It breaks the illustration. Because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are never divorced. They have a perfect unity. And that's God's design within marriage. Perfect unity. Now, we are not perfect people. So we're going to struggle. That's the point of the illustration. What I learn in my marriage, in the struggle of my marriage, is that I need him. Right? I need him. Which was the point that Jesus is bringing as he's, as he's declaring these things before the scribes and Pharisees. You need a savior. <laughs> you guys, like Nicodemus, think that all the things you've done are going to outweigh all the things you've messed up. In the great judgment that you will stand before. But Jesus is declaring, you're going to stand before me. Do you know that when Jesus is crucified and they're trying to get him to speak in his defense, he is going to say, you will see the Son of Man in glory in the clouds. Reference again to Daniel 7 when the Son of Man judges the nations, just reminding them 
you're going to stand before me in judgment. He makes the declaration for them. Whoever believes, hears my word and believes me. What's the prerequisites of eternal life? One, you hear the word of God. That's what the gospel is, right? The gospel is the word of God. It's a proclamation of who Jesus Christ is, what he has accomplished, what he has provided for us. How do we share the gospel? We share the gospel when we share the word. Romans 10, 17 says, so that faith comes by and hearing by the word of God. Isaiah 55 says the word of God will not return void, empty. It will accomplish its purpose. When you share the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ and it is rejected, that heaps judgment upon the rejector. When you share the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone who receives it, it brings Life, it accomplishes its purpose. It never misses. It always hits. It always accomplishes that for which it was sent. And then, believe in him who sent me. In John chapter 14, Philip is going to say, well, then Lord, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Believe in him who sent me. And then he gives a promise. The one who hears my word, believes in him who sent me, has eternal life. He lays out the promise. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. He gives the promise. He shall not come into judgment. Romans 8, 1 says, There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. How much condemnation is there? <clears throat> there is now, therefore, no condemnation. He has passed from death to life. Ephesians chapter 2, probably one of my favorite sections of Scripture. In Ephesians chapter 2, the first five verses, Paul describes how faith in Christ leads us from death to life. He says in Ephesians 2, 1, You who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit which is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were, you and I, by nature, children of wrath, under the condemnation of God, like the rest of mankind, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with whom? Christ. By grace you have been saved. He made me alive. 
alive. I was dead in my sin. He made me alive. For I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. If we have been crucified by Christ, then we also experience that resurrection. Being raised to newness of life. The change that Christ accomplishes within us. The word declares... Whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. This is what we see in Jesus' relationship to the Father. In the unity between the Father and the Son. The fruits of that relationship. The next part that we see is... The judgment that has been given to the Son. Now we already saw earlier, right, that all judgment has been given to the Son by the Father. But listen to what Jesus says in verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Man, that's a pretty strong proclamation, no? It has often been shared by preachers throughout the ages that the only reason the dead did not rise at Lazarus' resurrection is because Jesus used his name. Lazarus, come forth. Because Genesis 1 tells us that all God has to do is speak and it is so. Let there be And light was. Whatever the Son speaks, the unity between Father and Son, there is an hour. It is near. The hour is coming. There is a future event of the resurrection, yes. And now is. They're going to experience some pictures of the resurrection themselves, aren't they? There's going to be a day Jesus is walking into the city at the same time a woman is walking out with carrying the casket of her only son. And Jesus is just going to touch him as he walks by. He's just going to keep walking. And her son is going to get up. There's a day when Jesus is going to stand outside the tomb of Lazarus where there are two sisters who are mad at him, mad at God because of what they've had to endure. And he's going to speak. And all their frustration will melt away. Jesus is going to give us multiple pictures of the resurrection. Ultimately, the greatest picture is going to be pointing at his own resurrection, no? The proof that he is who he said he was? Come on. Magicians can do a lot of really cool things, right? Sometimes they look like they're floating, they throw cards, and they stick on the other side of glass. I don't know how they do that stuff. I I have a little mind. Just looks like magic to me. So far, none of them has said, take my life and in three days I will rise again and done it. 
I think that goes beyond magic. I think that speaks of the divine son. The one given the world. Who could make a way. For all who will follow. Come follow me. I will give you life. The proclamation that Christ gives. Listen, verse 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. God is life. I know people struggle with a lot of things in the Bible. Uh, nowadays, there's a... There's a, a, a fairly intense struggle over homosexuality. Look, the shortest answer for why is it wrong is because God is life. And there is no life in that relationship. Bob doesn't have anything to do with anything else. God is life. He's opposed to death. That doesn't mean God won't judge. The Bible says the wages of sin is Death. But did God tell you before? Let's say that you come to my house and I say, hey, don't put your hand in the oven. It's hot. And if you leave it there long enough, you'll get burnt. And then you go into my kitchen and you throw open the oven and you crawl in, turn it on. And I'm standing outside going, what are you doing? That's going to burn you. That's going to burn. What are you doing? Get out of the oven. What is wrong with you? Get out of the oven. No. <laughs> and you reach over, grab the door, and close it. That's pretty much the whole Old Testament. God telling the children of Israel, get out of the oven. That's going to kill you. <laughs> oh, no, it's not going to kill us. We're God's favorite. Get out of the oven. God is life. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. Listen, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. He is the Son of Man. When the Bible described Jesus in John chapter 1, it says, In him was life, and life was the light of men. Jesus Christ is judge. He's judged over a people who rebe whose rebellion against God was so stiff that they wouldn't come out of the fire. Now, somebody's thinking, well, why don't God just make them come out of the fire? That ever worked for you? Really? I had kids. My kids had rules. Thou shalt obey. 
No, you're not allowed to do this or you're not allowed to do that. I don't even remember all the crazy rules I had. And it was my job as father to try to use the rod of correction to drive disobedience out of the heart of my children. You know what I discovered about the heart of children? It does never leave. (laughs) My kids are almost 40. That's scary. How does that happen? That means I'm officially old. Oh, Lord, have mercy. And they still want to get in the fire. But you know, when they were five, I could pull them out. When they were 10, I could pull them out. When they were teenagers, I could pull them out. Then they moved out. If the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't change your heart, you will want the fire. This is what John declared in John chapter 1. Actually, that was John chapter 3. Actually, it's in the Gospel of John. How about we'll go with that? <laughs> my brain, my, my mental concordance is slipping. This is the condemnation of men. That light came. Light that shows you the way to life. But men love the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. That's our bend. That's why Jesus said, Do not marvel, you must be born again. Ezekiel told the people, there will come a day when God will take your hard heart and give you a heart of flesh. Jeremiah said, the day will come when the Lord will write his laws upon your heart. That God will change people from the inside. That's what keeps us out of the fire. But don't you see? You, you got to take Jesus' hand and come out. You can shake your fist at God and curse God all you want while you're sitting in the oven. That's dumb. <laughs> God! It's hot in here, God! <laughs> it kind of cracks me up. Take his hand. Jesus Christ is life. God is life. And he has given authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Last thing we'll share and we're going to pray and I'm not going to finish. Shocker. I know many of you are shocked. Don't worry. We're going to come back to this. A lot more we got to talk about the son in judgment. But this, the idea I really want to ingrain in us. Jesus Christ is life. God the Father is life. The things that he condemns are things that don't bring life, that don't uh, uh, follow the things that the Father does. Like the Son said, right? I do what the Father does. He's my dad. I'm his son. Scripture says that by adoption, we can call him Abba, Father. 
then we want to then walk in his way, right? Walk in the path of life, not the path of death. Look, people can make a million arguments for all the things that they think are right or wrong in the world, but the bottom line is I got to follow Jesus Christ. And he says, we walk the path of life. We warn men from the path of death. Turn, come out of the oven. Why would you perish? That's what God in his, in his, this is an anthropomorphic statement, so don't carry it too far. In his sorrow, in his sadness over the nation of Israel, he would look at them and say, why should you perish? Repent and live. Just give me your hand. Come to me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. In Proverbs, Lady Wisdom cries out in the corners, and she calls the people, come to me. Come on the path of wisdom to the path of life. Come to me. And we want to follow him. The nature of the Son is as the Son of Man. Daniel seven thirteen. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, Father, and was presented before him. And to him, the Son of Man, was given dominion. That's rule. Glory. You know, God says he will not share his glory with another. But this is sharing his glory with the Son with whom he has complete communion and unity. To him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. Almost sounds like I could go straight to Philippians, no? That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall never pass away. And his kingdom, the one that shall not be destroyed. The Son of Man, Jesus Christ. He is Redeemer. He is Savior. And he is Judge. The one that man gives account to will be the one man has either rejected or received. Rebelled against his call. He still says, come on out of the fire. No, I want to do what I want to do, and I want to do it this way. God will forgive me. You sure? I don't know where that verse is. Come to me, and I'll give you life. Come to me, I'll give you rest, for sure. Jesus is calling bidding us come the unity of father and son won't you stand with me let's pray father god we give you thanks for the opportunities that we have to come 
stand in this place, study your word. Lord, I, I understand that the concepts are difficult to lay hold of, to comprehend. I understand, but when we look at what John gave us, he said, look, I'm going to write you. I'm going to give you stories. I want to tell you the things that, that Jesus said that, that really showed me he was the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Redeemer, the Savior, and the Judge. And every man gets to choose how he relates to Christ. Every man gets to choose him as Redeemer and Savior or Judge. All judgment has been given to the Son from the Father because the Son humbled himself, made himself of no reputation taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. So the Father has exalted the name of the Son above every name that shall be named. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. God, may we understand, comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the depth, the breadth of the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. May we come to understand who God is as we study his word, Lord. And may we then be filled with boldness to share. We give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.